You're listening to the Win Build Send podcast, a podcast focused on evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication. I'm your host, Gabriel Menchaca. Thanks for listening. Okay, this is uh, Gabriel Menchaca. I'm here with Pastor Rodrigo. And he is uh, the pastor of Bethel IBC here in Frankfurt, Germany. Hey, hello. <laughs> uh, it's good having you here. And you're originally from where? I was born in Santos, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Brazil. Okay, I want to ask about Brazil. Um, growing up there, we all have an idea of what Brazil's like. Um, the number one thing that comes to mind is, for me at least, is it's like a beach community. <laughs> is that true? Well, it can it can be true. It depends on where exactly you are. You are. It's a big it's a big country, so you get all sorts of environments and all sorts of weather. Uh, I was lucky enough to to be born and to to grow up uh, on the seaside. So yeah, I was. So you're at the beach. I was at the beach. Yeah. yeah. So in in the place where I grew up. When you, when you become a teenager and you are allowed to go to the beach by yourself, you know, without your parents, then you feel like a, you're a big man now. That's so life. That's, yeah, yeah, you're that's, your, that's your independence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, okay, so in the context of like Brazil, were you, were you a Christian? Uh, were you raised in a Christian home? Um, what, was, what was some background there? Uh, yes, I was raised in a, in a Christian home and there is a funny, <laughs> funny story because my, my parents, they come from very different Christian denominations. Uh, my dad come, actually comes from a, an Adventist background, and my mom from the Assemblies of God. Um, wow, so that's like, uh, uh, one had like deep, um, they, they basically just focus on the word only, uh-huh. and then the other one's a Pentecostal. Yes, yes. Yeah. So when they got married, they decided to go to the Baptist church, so that's where I, I nice. grew up. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. That's a good. I reason. think that's what you call a compromise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so you grew up in a Christian home. Uh, how many siblings do you have? Two, two brothers. Two brothers. Yeah. And and are they still in Brazil? Yes, both of them are in Brazil. Okay, and then um, what was it like? Obviously, you grew up in this Baptist church. Um, what was it like being around this, this type of ministry? Was it was it something that was really on the street? Was it focused uh, inwardly into the church? What was that like? Yeah, it was a mixture of both. It was a a, a nice a nice church with about two hundred three hundred people. Every everyone knew each other from from generations and and oh. but there was there was always new additions like new people coming. I remember as a child, for instance, doing this um, holiday Bible club. I think you call something else in the U.S. Holiday Bible Vacation. Bible, vacation Bible School. Vacation Bible School. Yeah, VBS. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We do that and I <laughs> and I remember uh, going to the to the favelas with my uh, my my friends. We all kids. I'm talking. Uh, we are like eight, nine, ten years old, and we are going in the favelas with our Sunday school teachers, inviting the other kids to come. Wow. So it was a church which was uh, looking. Uh, Outwards and was involved in evangelism. What yeah. was that like in the favelas? Um, it is. It's uh, it's difficult to describe. It's it's a. Uh, it's a sad situation for people to be 
but it's quite interesting to see that people can be happy there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah? And, and, and it makes you realize that um, having money having a nice car having a nice job uh, is not essential for for happiness yeah, yeah? so yeah what was it like so you I mean I'm sure you saw missionaries coming into the country to the mm-hmm. city what was that like yes they did they did we used to have lots of Americans and and British people for some reason uh, yeah American British missionaries coming and since I was quite young I was always uh, interested in, in English so I could speak a few words of English nice okay as a teenager I was translating for most of those missionaries and most of them did uh, an amazing work, and they even, uh, as part of my testimony, I would have to credit my calling to 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 them, you know, to, to the inspiration that they 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 gave to me, and some of them helped me to shape my calling, and I've seen uh, most of them doing amazing ministry uh, with the rich, with the poor, mm-hmm. with, with the church people, with the unchurched people. Uh, only in a few cases. Uh, it was a bit awkward to say that some of them would uh, would try to live. Let's just put it this way: they were they were leading lives like their their standards in terms of finances and you know their housing and their the cars they were driving were not really uh, comparable to the communities that they were trying to yeah, reach. Yeah, yeah. So that so yeah. So you had them driving like a Bentley. <laughs> and, and people are walking yeah well not, not a Bentley but yeah, yeah but it was sometimes it was a bit um, there was a disparity there <clears throat> but not all just, just something that is uh, yeah, stuck with me somehow so I have I have that memory of, of just the, the huge difference yeah like from, from a normal life to the missionary's life Yes, yes. So yeah, that's yeah. that's interesting because I feel like a lot of Americans don't even think about that. Yeah. Like in one way, I remember we were in Eastern Europe, and you know, I'm I'm like struggling with the fact that they don't have free ketchup mm-hmm. or or uh, they have there's a dressing in the states called ranch dressing, yeah. and they didn't have it at the restaurants. And I'm like, you know, what is this place? <laughs> you know. So, but I think on one end, Americans really don't have that understanding of. Um, our standards of living are so different than the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was very obvious to you. It was. I mean, most of them would come and, and they would make compromises and they would uh, try to live as close as possible to the people. Not yeah. just physically, but in, in their living standards. But, um, yeah, just a few of them didn't have that perception. And um, I, I, have, I, have, I have that memory somehow because since I was uh, translating and I was very much involved, you know, we're, we're, they couldn't do things alone. They, they, would, they were depending on, on some of the, the local yeah. workers. Yeah. So, and yeah, there was this, this difference there. But <laughs> that's, yeah, and that's interesting for me to hear too. And I think important for any other American that wants to go into missions to, in a, in a way, consider the um, the lifestyle that you have and the choices you're making on the what we would say mission field. Yeah, yeah. So that's important. Yeah. So what about stepping into ministry? You you've been in ministry for a while now. Yes, I've been. Um, so I mean, it, it started like I said since I was a child. I was mm-hmm. always involved translating and. Uh, and we're talking like age of like eight. 
translating really uh, from, from the pulpit or, or translating their visits and so on uh, since I was 14, 15? 14, 15, yeah. wow, okay. Um, so I kind, of, I kind of sensed a calling to the ministry mm-hmm. since I was very young but it was something that developed. It was not like a supernatural revelation, you know, I had a vision or something. It was yeah. something that was growing slowly. Um, and because it was growing slowly, I had the time to actually start a career at the Air Force. So even though I have been uh, heavily involved with, with the ministry, like supporting, missionary supporting my church, and uh, at the age of 18, I applied for... for I took a test at the Air Force, the Brazilian Air Force, and I, I was working there for five years. Um, I was trained to do administration, and I started a training to do uh, helicopter mechanics. Mm-hmm. But at some point, when I contemplated my future working for them, um, I was reminded of that calling. And at yeah. some point, I decided to go to the theological school and to start my my training so I was still working at the Air Force when I did that and I was still saying at the beginning of my training I was still saying yeah I just want to be better prepared to serve as a lay person yeah yeah but yeah it it didn't turn out to be that way when I finished my 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 training my church decided to send me to Mozambique Uh, they gave me as a this mission trip as a gift. And this was from Brazil? That was from Brazil. My, wow. ch- my church in Brazil sending me to Mozambique for a few months and I was working with this amazing guy who was doing some fantastic work there and, and that was just the, the the end of it. I couldn't deny it. You know, after yeah. being with him, I had to say, no, I have to really leave everything and just surrender my life to to Christ and allow, me to, allow him to take me to whatever he wants me to take me yeah. and so from Mozambique did you did you go back to Brazil so from Mozambique <laughs> from Mozambique I, I sent an email to this guy who is a, a Welsh guy mm-hmm. and I had translated him maybe 10 years before wow. and we had kept in touch yeah so every now and again I would you know write him an email to say what's going on so I sent him an email saying look I'm here in Mozambique you know doing some some work here, mission work. And then he wrote back and he said, come on, Rodrigo, you go even to Mozambique, but you, you haven't been here in Wales yet, so when are you going to come? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I came to Brazil simply to change my visa. Okay. So I came to Brazil, I changed my visa, I got a visa to, to go to the UK. Okay. And then I spent one year uh, as, a, as a missionary um, in, in, the, in the Welsh Valleys. Welsh Valleys. Yeah, it's a very tough area. Uh, where they used to have these um, these mines, coal okay. mines, okay. which were closed many years ago. Uh, so you have like a population there who has no jobs, no perspective. You know, many of them um, just go, they resource to alcohol. Uh, many young people, kind of without without like a, a direction. So the church was trying to do something about that. Yeah, and they invited a group of missionaries to come. To spend a year with them. So from Brazil, which is, in my understanding, has more of a, what I would say, a cross-cultural and even international vibe, mm-hmm. you went to Mozambique, which is, you know, Africa. Yeah. And then, and then from Mozambique to the UK, Welsh Valleys, which in my head, I'm thinking you went from an international context 
to like this all black region yeah. and then to an all white region. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that that made me confused because in in Africa I was considered to be a white guy. Oh. <laughs> but in Wales I was considered to be a black guy. So like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> somewhere in the middle. So then, so then you go you go uh, Brazil, Mozambique, UK, and then from Welsh valleys or whatever. Where'd you go from there? From there, after this one year there, I applied for a master's degree in mm-hmm. London. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't want to just study, so I, I contacted a few churches there. And one of them decided to sponsor me. So okay. they took me on staff. Uh, it was actually the first time that I really worked for a church. Because yeah. before I was mainly working with uh, parachurch organizations, you know, like... Uh, yeah, ministry-related projects, but not in a church. Yeah. And, yeah, they gave me the opportunity to come as, a, as an assistant pastor. And I was there for about five years. Yeah. Okay, and, so you were five years. Yeah, so. the plan was just to do my master's in London and, and leave. But then the church asked me to stay, and we felt God's direction to stay. And it was really really important, because then I was again in a multicultural environment in London. Yeah, yeah. And London is, is very and, much yeah and I felt that I had something to contribute with, with the church and I also felt that the church was a good place for me to experience and to learn and to develop so I think that was a good a good foundation yeah and so now you're here in Germany so from, from that church you came directly to pastor this church here in Frankfurt yes basically yeah I had I, yeah uh, the, the idea that, or the question I have is how was that really a major change for you or was it kind of it kind of felt like it's pretty similar it is i mean the 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 major change for me personally is that uh when i came i couldn't speak any german ah yeah yeah, yeah. so i'm i'm married to a to a german Mm -hmm. and in england things were really balanced because both of us speak english both of us understand the culture but from the moment that we moved to germany like I kind of became dependent on her on some yeah. things, you know. <laughs> tax, tax returns, paperwork, <laughs> all the things I, I used to do, I, I cannot do anymore because okay. I, I don't understand the language. Yeah. So that was a, a learning a learning process for me. Yeah. That was the major difference for me. Now in terms of ministry, um, the church here that I've been working with, they are also very international. So yeah. Very multicultural. So in terms of ministry. It's, it's quite similar, and it is what I understand to be my specific calling, to be working with, with multicultural churches. Yeah. I would even say that when I first visited the church, the first thing I noticed was that there were so many representation, uh, representations of nations, yeah. like on the stage, off the stage, the minute you walked in. Like I was greeted by a dude from the Middle East, and then someone like speaking uh, with a, a English accent says hello, and I'm like, what the heck? Like, Where, yeah. where are these people from? Yeah. So it was really cool to come in and step into a church that for us, we were still trying to learn the city, and so I come in and, meet and go and see all these different people in the church, which for me is the way church should kind of be. Not necessarily that we should all be international churches, mm-hmm. but there should be a reflection that, hey man, there's a kingdom culture that yeah. supersedes all other cultures. Yeah, the last time we counted, we had 35 different nationalities 35. among the, the, the attenders and, and the members. And in the leadership, we are, each one of us is from a different nationality almost. 
So yeah, the leadership, yeah. the worship team. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's a good representation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what's the history of Bethel? Because it's you took you stepped into the role, um, uh, and the church had already been around. Yes, right? so for a number it? of years, they were planted uh, in nineteen in the in the fifties actually in the fifties because there was a, a an American air base in Frankfurt. Right. So there was this uh, two American twin brothers. One came to start a church in Frankfurt, and one came to start the church in Wiesbaden, okay. which is nearby yeah. Frankfurt. Yeah. And because there was also another base in Wiesbaden, so the the, the plan was mainly to to cater for the for the American military community in in the area. So the the church has been there since then. However, in the nineties. They, the, 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 the American government decided to close the, the, the base right. in Frankfurt. And the church had like a period of crisis trying to identify their identity. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and that's when we realized that, you know, Frankfurt is the most international uh, city in right. Germany. Right. I just read a statistic recently that it was 51.9% yeah. non-German. Yeah. So, you know, slowly we, they, they started making a transition from being like an American military international church to be a, an all-nations yeah. type of church. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's what we, and we are today. It and is, it yeah. is, yeah. We have uh, native speakers. Yeah, we do have Americans, British, but the large majority are like people who speak English as a second or even third language, uh, just just like me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I know that uh, as we visited and come around the church, we just have been so encouraged and blessed to be around everybody, man. Mm-hmm. It's just and also a great experience to, to visit a church that has the openness to different cultures. Because mm-hmm. I think some, you really got to fit into the culture of the church. Yes. And with this one, it's kind of like the culture of the church is accepting other cultures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's really cool. It's really cool. Um, what, what about, uh, I know that you have a love for surfing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell me about that. Like, how, do you, how the heck do you surf, man? <laughs> well, I think, that, I think that has to do with the place where I grew up. You know, yeah, like I yeah. said, when, when you are 12, 13 years old, you know, you, you become... Independent, as to say, you know, your parents allow you to go to places. The first place you go is the is the beach. So, my friends and I, we just each one of us had a board that we find somewhere, and we just walk to the to the to the beach and spend the whole afternoon there almost every day. So, so, so what are you doing more? Short boards, long boards? I started with uh, body boards. Actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I I like the most. Okay. That's <laughs> yeah. what I love right there. But also some long boards. Yeah. And then, and then here you're you're kind of landlocked. I am. So how, where do you go catch waves at? Where's the clo- Where's your favorite and closest place? A favorite is Portugal. Portugal. You can okay. you can <laughs> you can fly and you're there in three hours. And I have friends there with what makes things easy. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And and actually friends who are also surfing mm-hmm. and actually have a church there called Surf Church. So yeah. It's yeah. it's you know when I go there I surf for sure. And it's Surf Church. Porto, yes. Portugal. Surf Church Porto in Portugal. Um, and, and how long have you been surfing? How many years? Well, since I was 14 or even less. Like 20, 30 years. 30 and, years? Yeah, nearly. Yeah, I'm, 37, I'm 36 now. So, yeah. Nearly 30 years. <laughs> That's awesome, man. You just had a, a major new thing happen in your life. 
and I'm, I'm sure it's probably your most proud moment, but you're now a father. Yeah. And how has that changed you or challenged you? Or Yes, I mean, I'm still trying to figure things out. He's four months old four now. Four months old, yeah. Yeah, so he's the guy. first one. And yeah, it's a, it's a big blessing. And I mean, my main, my main prayer and my main concern is that um, I, I make him also a priority. You know, yeah. I think uh, many pastors and missionaries, they make the mistake of just looking at the ministry, at the church, and the, the family is all, always like in the second plan. So I don't want to, I don't want to be like that. So yeah, I, yeah. No, I would definitely speak into that, man. Like I've, I've been around lots of pastors and their families. The, the ones that are hurt the most, the pastor's kids are the ones that did feel like the most important thing in their dad's life was a ministry. Yeah. The other ones that are doing okay, they felt like at any time I could go to my dad and talk to him. Yeah. And the ministry wasn't more important. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a that's an awesome perspective to have for you know father. One of the other the the things that I I've I've seen evident in you and, and in what the church is doing is working with refugees. Mm-hmm. And um, I know there's there's a lot of challenges and there's a lot of things to even talk about. But one of the things that I was really um, for those of you that don't know, Pastor Rodrigo is working with refugees here in Frankfurt. But one of the, the biggest testimonies that for me that caused me to say, like, I want to connect with this guy more was um, you, you in a way, um, put your career, put your, your position in Germany at risk by helping some, some guys who needed um, what we would say is, is asylum or refuge by – go ahead and tell us that story because I, I don't want to mess it up. What yeah. happened? I mean – it started with what you're saying, the church being so open to mm-hmm. all cultures. Yeah. So when I when I came to Germany in 2013, uh, one guy from Iran came to us. Basically, he had a vision and he was ready to be uh, discipled and baptized. And that's what we did. So he brought another two guys, same situation, you know, discipled and baptized. And they brought another ones. And then we have this mini snowball happening yeah. that they are bringing other people other refugees and you know and when we when we look at it in a few months they are becoming us they are becoming part of us and yeah. we we made a point of never saying that we have a refugee ministry right because that would not be correct it's not that we as a church we differentiate ourselves from them no they are us you know they belong to us yeah you're working with people yeah and and but you know and 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 now, making them part of our family made us realize some of their struggles and some of their difficulties. And very quickly, still in 2014, we started doing uh, German classes. We started offering uh, help uh, with, with documentation, uh, you know, when they have to go to the offices to fill in forms, to prepare uh, curriculums and so on. All sorts of, of, of support, legal support, you know, trying to find legal support. And, and I, think that's, I think that's huge to make a point off of that. Um, when, when churches say, um, you know, we need to help, usually the biggest response is let's pray. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not knocking prayer at all. Prayer is vital and important. But the real help of everyday things is also vital. Mm-hmm. So the, like, what you're saying is like, you not only prayed and prayed for them and prayed for the whole situation, you yeah. guys actually, like, day-to-day things started helping them. Yeah, 
yeah, you know, as much as much as we could. Of course, like the church was still struggling in, in many ways, you know, mm -hmm. like I said, because we we're trying to make this transition of becoming uh, what we would, would we felt God was leading us to become. Yeah. So things, you know, the church had had been without a pastor for few years. So it was all new, I was new, you know, trying to put some structure in place. And this thing with the refugees happening at the same time. So it, yeah. it would be very easy to say, we don't have time for that. Mm -hmm. or, or it's not the right time for us to get involved with that. But we couldn't do it because it, it was, you know, it started with those that we considered family. Yeah. But they opened our eyes and we extended our ministry beyond the, the, the refugees that belong to our family. And we're doing the things which is which is normal most well, I, I, I'm not sure I can say most but many churches they will do that you know German classes thank you for listening please like share and subscribe some legal ways to get him out of that situation and finding a way for him to stay in Germany. And I met with that man and he said, look, I'm not sure if you know about it because you have been here not, uh, for not so long, but you as a church, you can help him because he's a member of your church. Mm -hmm. And in Germany, there is this tradition that uh, we call church asylum. Mm -hmm. I think in the US, they call it sanctuary. Yeah. So it's the thought that you can bring someone inside the church building for protection and once that person is inside the church building the police the german police wouldn't come inside they're not allowed to yeah to pick them up to deport them yeah and there is a process that you have to follow to do that you have to inform the authorities that, that you are doing what you're doing for that person to make things very uh, very clear and and and, and very legal um, but the truth is that this is more like a tradition than a law. We were allowed to do that. There were another 200 churches doing the same thing at the time. Mm -hmm. 200? And 200. Throughout the, Germany? Throughout Germany, okay. yeah. And we did exactly the same way that they've done it. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, we, we had some problems mm -hmm. because the... Yeah, the, the, the some some of the authorities, the police and the prosecutors, they opened a case against me. Not against the church, against not, you. Not against the church, against <laughs> me, because I had signed those documents. Yeah. Informing them and making it very clear to them what we are doing, so that no one can accuse us of doing anything illegal or yeah. secret. Uh, but they brought up a case of uh, me protecting illegal migrants. Mm -hmm. So they opened this case. And, you know, we got a lawyer and we tried to resolve, but they were not dropping the case. And what we had to do was to start a campaign asking for online signatures uh, to put some pressure that they would drop the case. And that got the attention of the media. So I was uh, on a few newspapers at the time and, and some other media. And eventually, two weeks after, to be... To be to be exact, they decided to, to drop the case. So, so these these articles in the media and everything that um, that were published, 
were they pro, like were they for you guys helping them, or were they more like critiquing you guys helping? They them? were more. They were more pro. I mean, okay. of course, they have to 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 have like a more neutral approach. Right. But what no one understood is that okay? How come two hundred other churches are doing the same thing that they are doing, and you are going only after them? Yeah. And it's a question that. Uh, we don't have the answer up until today, but it could be that they were trying to create a legal precedent to go after the others. Because if yeah. they come after me, and legally they f they they convict me for doing something uh, illegal, they could make the same claim to the other pastors. Mm. And maybe they thought, you know, it's a foreign pastor, it's a it's an international church. Maybe they are right. an easy target. Right, right. But they they didn't know that everything we've done from the very beginning has always been done through partnerships. Mm -hmm. So we had the council before, you know, we, we had the lawyers, we had all the support that we needed to prove that we, we, we did things uh, in the way that they should be done. Um, so And these were, these were like kingdom connections. These were not like, you guys didn't do this alone, you were doing this with other churches, with other ministries saying, how do we do it? With other churches yeah. and even other non-profit organizations who are not a Christian. Yeah. But they do a good work of refugees, and they have the expertise. And we said, okay, we let's let's learn from them. Yeah, we we cannot invent the wheel here. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, reinvent the wheel. Yeah. The the area though that wasn't wasn't that at all um, scary in the way of it that was. It was, you know, especially because we tried to resolve it through the lawyers, you know, for a year. And when the lawyer came to me with the suggestion to go public, I said. Why should I go public? And then mm -hmm. he said, "Well, the way things work in Germany is that sometimes you need the you need the pressure from the public mm -hmm. so that the authorities can take an action. Okay. So they're not gonna drop the case. I have written them so many letters as a lawyer. They're not dropping the case. But if you go public, then I'm pretty sure they'll drop the case because you're gonna attract the support of those who are who are uh, pro." The, the church asylum but my fear was yeah I'm going to attract them but I'm also going to attract the hatred from those who are against them yeah and you know and this would put you your wife exactly your friends yeah and being kind of a public person as a as a, as a pastor mm -hmm. everyone knows where I am mm -hmm. on Sunday morning yeah it's not so difficult to find out where I live yeah so we had we had some concerns and And it, it happened to some extent, got some hatred um, <laughs> emails, and uh, even even from some friends, unfortunately. Wow. Yeah, people that, um, yeah, I, 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 I would consider friends or colleagues, but mm -hmm. they have completely different political views, and when, yeah. when, as soon as I, I did that, they, they made sure they made a point that they were against it. And one of them actually said, I hope you go to jail. Because wow. what you're doing is illegal. <laughs> and, and even the whole situation, man, the, the refugees, the asylum seekers, it is a polarizing and contrasting and divisive situation mm. where I've met some Germans who are like in tears saying like, we have to help them. Mm -hmm. And I've met other Germans who are like yelling, saying they need to get out of our country. Mm. And so I, I can imagine how it is. And these are Christians. Yeah. These are, these are not like... Um, People that you know hate God and don't read their Bible, they're in churches on Sunday mornings. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it is it is a situation that's challenging.